Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. It is great to be with all of you. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the service, celebrating uh, Christmas with everybody here. If we've not had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Pat Malloy. I'm the pastor here at Living Stones. And, and if there's anything that we can do for you, any needs that you have, any way that we can serve you or questions that you might have, I want you just to reach out to any of us on staff, any of us in leadership, and it would be our pleasure to help you in any way possible. Um, come, I, I'd encourage you to come find me after, uh, after service today, and I would love just to get to, uh, just get to know you a, l- a little bit more as well. So um, one thing I want to get into before our, our message this morning, our new series that we have, um, is I want to give you an update on something that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. Um, two Sundays ago, I shared with you, um, with our LSC family, that because of uh, budgetary, budgetary restraints and an effort to put our church in a, in a better uh, fiscal position, um, as, as a leadership team, you know, we, we've, uh, we're, we're transitioning our children's director position from a paid position to a volunteer-led position. And, and this has been um, obviously an extremely difficult decision that we have made, but as, as a leadership team, we are confident that this is, um, this is the course of action that is going to be best for us in regard to the financial health of our church. And, and, at the, and our plan was, as we offered to uh, ask Jen Paul, our children's director, that we would keep her on through the end of the year and pay her through the end of the year, um, uh, at, at which time our vol- the volunteer position would be implemented. Um, and over the last uh, like week and a half, Jen has been offered employment elsewhere. And, uh, and so because of that, uh, she has to begin her other jobs, um, and she's going to cease being on staff here. And so that being said, that today is going to be Jen's last Sunday as our children's director here at Livingstones. Um, Jen is in the room today uh, in, the, in the very back, and I just want to publicly thank Jen. I want to thank Chris, um, her family, and just all that you have done to serve our families and serve our children well um, over these years. Um, you guys really are an amazing couple, and not just as coworkers, but also as friends. And I, and I just want to just publicly tell you how grateful we are for you guys and all that you have done. Can we just acknowledge Jen and Chris and thank them? love you guys more than we can possibly express, and um, just what a blessing you guys have been to so many um, here at the church. Um, just, uh, uh, and just an update for everybody as well, um, just as what that transition is going to look like. Um, and so my wife, Angela, and Katie Kenyon are going to be kind of co-leading our children's ministry. They're going to be kind of the, the heads of it. And so for everybody who's serving in kids' ministry, um, we will share more information with you um, this coming week. We'll send an email out to everybody. But Jen, Chris, just want you to know how much we just absolutely love you guys and are extremely thankful for you being a part of our church family. So um, I, I, we are starting today uh, our Christmas series that we are calling A Thrill of Hope. 
a thrill of hope. And, and as, uh, as Meredith said yesterday, I just want to thank everybody that came out and was a part of our, our decorating team yesterday. We just had a great time getting together. It, it really is always a fun time to get together and just having Christmas music playing and everybody um, participating and, and coming together. And uh, Meredith and Katie and Krista, you guys did just a great job uh, designing and planning and implementing everything. Um, one thing I do want to share with, with everybody, too, just as far as like this Christmas season goes is that um, 30 minutes both before and after all of our Sunday services this month, we are, have a, a photo booth set up in our conference room, which is right across the hallway from uh, Kyle's office. And, and so I just want to encourage all of you just as, as a family, you know, as an individual, you guys can go and it come either early next Sunday, you can stay after church uh, today or any of the next uh, several Sundays. And just get a, a family picture taken at our photo booth in the conference room there. Um, Angie uh, is, has agreed to take the pictures, and we're great, extremely grateful for that. And we're going to print uh, a copy of that and send it to you. But just as a, as a way of just telling you we love you and just Merry Christmas from your Livingstones Church family, we are extremely grateful for that. So make sure you um, plan to, to uh, stop at the uh, photo booth as a family. And then one final uh, other thing I wanted to share is that on Christmas Eve, we're going to have two identical Christmas Eve services at 5 o'clock and at 7 o'clock, and it really is a, 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 an amazing time, a wonderful time gathering together as, as a church family, um, just uh, celebrating the birth of our Savior. We have a, a short message, some, some uh, just meaningful, special songs that we're going to have uh, as well, and I, I just want to encourage you to make that a part of your uh, family Christmas tradition as well, candle lighting, the whole bit, and it really is an amazing time. And so our Christmas Eve service is going to take the place of our Sunday morning service. So we will not have um, Christmas service on Sunday, December 25th, our, so make sure you have plans to come on Christmas Eve on the 24th. But as, as I said, our, our new series, our Christmas series, we are calling A Thrill a thrill of hope, and and the name the, the name of this series it comes from one of my favorite Christmas hymns, "O Holy Night, O Holy Night," and and I'm totally gonna butcher this. Maggie tried to tried to give me some help that that "O Holy Night" was originally written as as a poem. It wasn't even written as a song. Um, and if you can put uh, his picture up, it's Placide Capot. Maggie did all right. I got a thumbs up from Maggie. Maggie no. Maggie uh, speaks great French. So Placide Capot, he, he's the one that wrote the, the words to O Holy Night. And it was originally written as a poem in French. And, and it wasn't until uh, several years later that uh, the, it was put to music by composer Adolphe Adam, if you can put his picture up there as, as well. And it was originally written in 1843, O Holy Night was. And it wasn't translated into English until 1855. And if, and if you think about what was going on here in the United States in, in the late 1850s, what was happening, there was a huge debate that was raging in, a, in our country about what we were going to do about slavery. Like, how was how slavery going to be decided in our very young country? And, and this hymn, this Christmas hymn, became very popular with abolitionists at the time. Because in the third verse of, of O Holy Night, the third verse talks about chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. I, I mean, just what, what, what an amazing, what a beautiful thing that this song is. Not, not only is, is this song proclaiming the birth of Jesus, but it also paints such a clear picture of what Jesus came to bring. 
that Jesus came to bring freedom and unity and love, like it's all included in there. But going back to the name of our series, A Thrill of Hope, the, the rest of that line says, a weary world rejoices. And, and man, doesn't that feel appropriate right now? That Jesus said, all right, I want you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. And our weary world, like we, we live uh, lives that are so weary and worn out for so many of us, worn out from just the, the, the busyness of life, from sin, from strife, from fighting, dysfunction, all of it there. And that those who are weary, that we can rejoice at the coming of our Savior. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you just an honest confession here. Um, I, I, was, I was encouraged by some not to share all of this, um, but you guys are my church family. You guys are my family, and so I'm going to share. I, I want to share it with you um, and just be transparent with you. Um, and so this is Confessions of, of a Pastor is that I struggle with Christmas. I, I struggle with Christmas. And there, there's a whole host of reasons that I could point to for this. There's obviously the, the over-commercialization that happens during this time, you know, just the, 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 the financial aspect of it, buying gifts for, for not only Christmas gifts. In our family, we have three birthdays in December. And so, like, every December, I feel like we're just always broke. Just the over-busy schedule running here and running there, and, and just like all of the expectations, all of the stress. Christmas music that literally starts the day after Halloween. Like, I, I mean, and it just seems to go on forever, you know? And, 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 and I, again, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being transparent with you. By far, my least favorite Christmas song, Wonderful Christmas Time by Sir Paul McCartney. I... Oh, I just hate that song. I, I just, I cannot stand that song. And, and, and just to let you know, what, what makes it even worse about that song, I, as I was researching the, this for, for our message today, Paul McCartney makes about between $400,000 and $600,000 every year from royalties just from that one song. Like since, since he released that song, he's made over $16 million dollars from the absolute worst Christmas song that, it, that is out there. Like, I mean, it just, it, it just makes me cringe even just thinking about it. Like, and, and, and I know, like Andy Williams said, all right, it, this is the most wonderful time of the year, but man, like, I, just being honest with you, I just struggle with it. I struggle with it, and, and I feel bad about that. Like, I want to love this time of year, but I just find it really difficult. And, and a few months back, as we were talking about Christmas, as we were kind of planning, all right, wh what is our Christmas series going to be? What, what are we going to do for, for all of this? I took some time to really pray and to talk to God about it and say, all right, God, what, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why, do, I, why do I struggle with Christmas? I, I don't want to be like this, but yet I still feel this way often. I, I'm quite certain there are other people in the room that, that maybe do as well. I'm not going to ask you to out yourselves. But, but as a pastor, especially, I feel like, man, that should not be the case. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, sh I should look forward to Christmas every year. And yet I struggle with it. And, and, and as I talked with God about it, uh, just my struggles with Christmas, I, I believe the Holy Spirit kind of illuminated some things for me about it. But, but really this idea that I realized that the Christmas that I despise is, feels so disconnected from who I know God to be and what it is that he's all about. That if I can strip away all the other stuff that comes with this time of year, all the external pressures, all of the expectations, like if I can cut away 
all of those things, especially Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney, if I can get rid of all that other stuff, I'm still in awe about the story of the birth of Christ. That the God of the universe, the, the God that created galaxies and supernovas bigger than we can possibly imagine, the, the God that, that, that put trillions of cells in, in my body, and each one of those cells contains DNA, the blueprint for who I am as a person, the, the God who set everything into motion, that the earth is tilted at just the right degree, at just the right distance from, from the sun, the water cycle, the oxygen cycle, like all of these things that God put into motion, the, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, that, that is bigger than I can possibly comprehend, that he sent his son, that Jesus stepped down from heaven and took on the, the form of the most delicate and, and helpless form possible, that of a little baby, that he would become Emmanuel, God with us, so that, so that I, so that every one of us here, that we, that we could completely experience undeserved grace and freedom and forgiveness. Like, that's the story of Christmas that still brings me to tears. That, that's the story of Christmas that I'm still in awe about. Not, not all the other stuff that we've ended up making this season to be, but that story. That story, the good news, the story of God becoming flesh, the form of a baby, that, like, the, the story of the incarnation that brings joy and awe and gratitude and peace and hope to every one of us. A story that has brought comfort to billions of people throughout thousands of years. And it's the simple story, the simple story of God putting on flesh, becoming a man for you and me. Like, that's the story we're going to focus on this Christmas season. But, and the story that, that I pray produces awe and wonder inside every one of us in this room. That, that story didn't begin 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. That the, the, the story of Jesus, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that God's story of redemption started all the way back in the book of Genesis. All right, the, sto the story of Christmas, the, the Christmas story of, of, of God becoming flesh didn't start 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It began all the way at the very beginning in Genesis. Like back in the Garden of Eden where, when Adam and Eve, they lived in perfect harmony with God and with one another and with, with the earth. And in an instant, that all changed when, when sin was introduced into the world. When they took that, that bite from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what was right suddenly became broken. And in that moment, God, God would have been perfectly within his right to say, all right, well, you know what? <laughs> you guys screwed it up. The one thing I asked you not to do, the one thing, the one rule I gave, the one thing I asked you not to do you went ahead and did it. Well, it was fun while it, while it lasted, but this is over between us. Like God, God could have done that. He would have been well within his right to do that. He could have eliminated Adam and Eve and started over. But he didn't. He didn't do that. In fact, in that moment, in that very moment, God initiated his rescue plan, his redemption plan for all of humanity. He, like he, he didn't have to do any of this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says that God created garments of skin for Adam and Eve to wear. And, and there are some theological disagreements about what does that phrase mean, garments of skin. But in my opinion, 
I'm just sharing with you my thoughts on it, is, is that a sacrifice was made, that, that God sacrificed an animal and, and made clothes, garments of skin for Adam and Eve to wear, foreshadowing the sacrifice that his son would one day make to cover over and remove our sin. Like the garments of skin that Adam and Eve put on, it covered over the evidence of their sin, their shame, their nakedness. And this was a free gift that God gave to Adam and Eve. And in this moment, this is when the Christmas story began. That because of our sin, humanity, we were going to need a Savior. And God's plan of grace and redemption, which, which would culminate in the birth and, and the eventual death of His Son, like this is where the story began. But God did not keep this story a secret. He, he, didn't, he didn't keep this story a secret. He didn't keep it all to Himself. And, and, and thinking back, like as, as a big Star Wars fan, I remember back when the, the trailer first dropped for The Force Awakens, when, when that trailer came out for Force Awakens, that, that 88-second trailer... Like, and it just captured my imagination because it provided just a little taste of what was going to come. Like, I was so disappointed and disillusioned by episodes one through three that, they, you know, I thought, all right, man, finally, hopefully there's some hope for these last three episodes in, in the Star Wars saga that would redeem the series. That this 88-second trailer was introduced, introduced and, and we, got to, we got to see Ray for the first time and all right, find out what's going on with Luke. And, and, and there were no answers in that moment. There were no details in that trailer. But it was just a preview of what was to come. And God did that same thing. God did that same thing. He dropped trailers throughout time of what was going to come prior to, prior to the premiere, prior to the birth of Jesus. He gave hints and glimpses of what his redemption plan was going to be how it was going to come about. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that the story of Christmas was first revealed through the prophets. The, the story of Christmas was first revealed through the prophets. Now, God, God spoke, when, when God spoke to his people, he spoke through prophets. And sometimes it was words of correction or rebuke when they had gotten off course. Sometimes uh, he spoke through the prophets and it was words of encouragement. Sometimes it, it was a... a, a uh, a snapshot, a, a sneak peek of what was to come. And, it, and the same way that a preview of a movie that you can't wait to see, it provides anticipation and it provides excitement. The words that he gave the prophets concerning the Messiah that was to come also provided hope. It provided anticipation, reminding people that he had not forgotten about them, that he had not abandoned them, that he was still in control and that things were going to come about just at the right time, just as God was planning it to do. Uh, and allow me to give you an example of what I mean by this. When, when God first came to Abraham, and Abraham was an old man, he had no kids whatsoever, and, and God approaches Abraham and he says, all right, you are going to be the father of a great nation, that you are going to have so many descendants, you're gonna, it's going to be like the, the stars in the sky or the, the grains of sand on the beach. That's how many descendants you're going to have to this old man who had no children. And God went on to say, but not only that, Abraham, that the story of redemption that I began all the way back in the Garden of Eden, that story is going to come through your lineage, through, through your ancestors, that the Savior that one day was going to make everything right was going to be a relative, was going to be a descendant of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, 
God says to Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And he says, and all people of the earth will be blessed through you. God tells Abraham that a day is going to come where all of the people throughout all time are going to be blessed through you. Not just your immediate family, not just your nation, but all the people on earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. This was a prophecy about Jesus coming. And in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew, he traces the lineage of Jesus and he traces it all the way back to Abraham, saying, no, 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 like Jesus was a fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham, that Jesus was a direct descendant from him. And the angel, on the the night of of Jesus' birth, when the angel appeared to the shepherds that were out watching their flocks by night, an angel appeared to them. And we're probably all very familiar with this passage. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, it says, But the angel said to them, said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good good news that will cause great joy for all people. Like these are the exact same words that God spoke to Abraham. That through you, Abraham, all people are going to be blessed. The The story of Jesus' birth was not just good news for the shepherds, who were hearing these words. They weren't just good news for the, for the Jewish people or the Jewish nation. This was good news for all people. And, and many years later, God spoke, to, God spoke to King David, giving him a glimpse of the story that was unfolding, sharing a preview with him of what was to come. In 2 Samuel verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 12, it says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'm going to raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Another direct prophecy concerning Jesus, that David, who was also a descendant of Abraham, was also going to be in the, in the lineage, in the line of the Messiah, the one who was to come. And again, a thousand years before Jesus was born, God provides just another detail, another detail of this story that was, that was unfolding. And, and, and I want to show you a video, like as, as I was thinking about this idea, the, this story that God began all the way back in the Garden of Eden that is continuing on to this day. It, it made me think of, of some of those time-lapse videos you may have seen of, of a flower opening up. In fact, can you play that, that video for us? And I, I want you just to kind of watch this as I talk. And, and you see this bud that doesn't look like much of anything, and all of a sudden it, it opens up, and it blooms, and it, it unfolds, and, and what looks like almost nothing slowly becomes just this beautiful picture, this beautiful flower that is happening right around you. And this is what was happening in the centuries before Jesus was born, that little by little, God was offering more of a glimpse of what was to come. Little by little, the story that God was writing was beginning to unfold, was beginning to open up. Little little by little, God's rescue plan came to be more and more into focus. And it gradually unfolds and gradually opens up until we can see the beauty 
of what it is that God was doing. Speaking to the prophet Isaiah, God gives even more details. Drops another preview, drops another trailer of what was to come with the birth of Jesus. If you're writing this down, I want you to write that God foretold the birth of his son 700 years before it actually happened. That in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord, the Lord himself will give you a sign that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before Jesus was born. God told Isaiah that the Messiah was going to be born of a virgin, like signaling, like this, this was going to be something supernatural that only God could do, that only God could accomplish. It was not going to be something of man, and that he would be called Emmanuel. And, and, and then you fast forward to, to, to when Mary was pregnant, and the angel comes and speaks to Joseph and says, Joseph, hey, your, your fiance, Mary, who you've not been with, she's pregnant. She's going to have a son. And Matthew records in Matthew 1, verse 23, it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us, God with us. Like this is, a, again, the exact fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before. Like when, when, when all hope seemed to be lost, when it, when it seemed as though perhaps God had forgotten about his people, that maybe God had forgotten about the promise that he had made to Abraham, Several thousand years before, God was given a reminder. He was sharing a little bit more about what was to come. Again, through the prophet Micah, who was a contemporary of Isaiah, God revealed a little bit more of his plan of redemption. Again, just slowly unfolding, given a, a slight idea, a slight glimpse of what was to come. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Like Micah is foretelling about the Savior, that he was going to come out of Bethlehem, that he would be from the tribe of Judah. And we know the story in Luke chapter 2, that this prophecy comes to pass in Luke 2, verses 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Like the, the story of the incarnation, God becoming man, it, it's unfolding just as God intended it to. The fact that there was a census at the time that Jesus was about to be born was not a coincidence. It happened exactly this way, exactly this way, what God had, had prophesied and what God had said was going to happen hundreds of years before. That my, my son, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Like It was not a coincidence that this happened. And it's these parts of the Christmas story that just elicit that, that wonder and that awe for me. That God doesn't do something just on a whim. He's not like you and me where we go to the store and say, oh, you know what, I think I do need another 
pair of shoes or I need, I need another tool. Or, like, like he, he doesn't just see something and be like, oh, you know what, I, I, I hadn't even thought about that. I'm just going to go ahead and do that. He doesn't stretch and wake up and just wonder what he's going to do on a particular day. But every detail of the birth of Jesus was perfect. Every detail was thought out. The timing was exactly right. Like nothing was left to chance. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, he says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. When the fullness of time, like at just the right time, at the perfect time, God knew what he was doing. He orchestrated all of it to happen just as it should. It, it happened exactly as God had planned it. That he was going to be born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. The trip to Bethlehem. After his birth, the trip to Egypt. The virgin birth. Like all of it, it was, it was all a part of God's plan from the very beginning. The story that God was writing. The story that was slowly unfolding. And of all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, and there's hundreds of them, of all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, the one that is possibly most meaningful to me comes from Isaiah chapter 61. And I want, I want to read to you the first three verses of Isaiah 61. In verse 1 it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Like, like when, when Jesus began his public ministry, Luke records in the fourth chapter of his gospel that Jesus went to the synagogue and he opens up the scroll and he opens up to Isaiah 61 and he reads this exact passage. Jesus reads this exact passage in Isaiah 61 and as he goes to sit down, he hands the scroll back to the rabbi and he goes to sit down and, and he says one final thing. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What I just read about in Isaiah 61, it's talking about me. Like, can you imagine, like, yourself in, in that moment that, that you had gone to the synagogue on, on that particular Sabbath, and, and you went and, and, you know, like, you just thought, all right, this is just any old Sabbath day, and I'm going and I'm hearing, I'm hearing the Word of God, one that I've probably heard many times before. I was very familiar with this passage in Isaiah 61, talking about the coming Messiah and hearing Jesus say that this message, that this, this prophecy, this passage is talking about me. Like, I came to proclaim good news to the poor. I came to bind up the brokenhearted. I came to proclaim freedom for the captives. I came to release prisoners from darkness. I came to comfort those who are mourning. That all those things that you've heard about, all those things that you've read about over the years, it was all pointing to me. This prophecy is fulfilled right now today in your hearing. Like, Can you imagine for a moment what that would have been like to sit in the synagogue that day and hear Jesus make that statement? This moment that, that people had waited for, 
for thousands of years. All the prophecies, prophecies that had been foretold, like all, all the trailers that God had been dropping along the way, the glimpses that, that he was given of what was to come, it was here. It had finally come to pass that the waiting was over. And, and the good news for us this morning, and, and this is the final point that I want to share with you, is that Jesus' story has endured for thousands of years. Jesus' story has endured for thousands of years. The story of God putting on flesh, being born as a baby, the story of the incarnation, the, the, the story of Christianity, the only religion where God came to us, not the other way around, where we don't have to earn our way to God, but He came to us with no, prere no prerequisites at all, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like that story is still providing hope today. That Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 61, it's still happening. That when Jesus was talking about himself, that he's still providing the garment of praise in exchange for the spirit of despair. He's still exchanging beauty for ashes. Jesus is still healing the brokenhearted. He's still releasing prisoners from darkness. He's still comforting those who mourn. All these thousands of years later, his story is still good news. It's still good news to this day. And so as we, as we kick off this Christmas series, I want to I close with a, with a final thought. And I, I mentioned at the beginning, just personally, I kind of struggle with Christmas sometimes. I wish that wasn't the case, but I do. But when I can strip all that other stuff away, when I can get back to what the story of Christmas is really all about, getting back to that original story that, that God began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Like if, if you remember in a Charlie Brown Christmas, like Charlie Brown, he gets exasperated when, when, they're, when they're practicing for the pageant. And you hear him yelling out, he, he's like, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And, and when it comes to this Christmas season, my, my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us, our entire church family, is that we would be like Linus in this moment. That all the pressures, all the stress, all the anxieties, all the to-dos, like all, all the other things that we could distill Christmas down to what it really is, God's redemption story for you and for me. God's redemption story for all of humanity. This story that began at the fall in the Garden of Eden. This story that was shared through the prophets. The, this story that is still changing lives today. Linus said, I, he quotes Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, another prophecy about the Messiah. This is very familiar to every one of us. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that story still taking place today. That story that God began all the way back with Adam and Eve in the garden has lasted, has endured, 
is present right here with us today, that that's what this time, that's what this season is about. That's what, I, that's what we're going to be talking and unpacking through this series. I, I just want to pray right now for every single one of us as we start this Christmas season. So Lord, we, we love you, God, and we thank you so very much for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a great and a gracious God, that you have made a way for us. God, I, I, I'm so thankful, Lord, that the, the hundreds of prophecies that, that were made about you in the Old Testament, God, that you fulfilled every single one of them. God, that you left nothing up to chance. But God, it happened exactly as, as, you, as you planned. It happened exactly as you wanted it to. And, and Lord, I, I pray for for myself. I pray for our entire church family. I pray for, for our entire world that during this time that we, that we get so inundated with all the stuff of Christmas that we never lose sight. We never miss what this season is truly all about, that the God of the universe stepped down out of heaven and put on flesh so that we could experience grace and love and freedom and forgiveness. God, I pray for those right now that maybe Christmas is a difficult season. Maybe because of the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's painful memories from the past, unmet expectations. God, I pray for those that struggle during this time of the year. Lord, that what, what Jesus said that he came to fulfill in Isaiah 61, that he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to bring, the, to bring joy instead of mourning. God, that that would be made known, that that would be manifested, Lord. That, the, that what Jesus came to fulfill in Isaiah 61 would be something that every one of us here would be able to experience. God, I'm, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your story. And I'm grateful, Lord, that we get to be a part of it. God, you are amazing. And we love you and we thank you, God. We celebrate you this time of year in Jesus' name. Amen.